Thomas, you ready back there? All right. We're five minutes past time to start this afternoon. <laughs> we'll just make Chris cut his short sermon short five minutes. Got about three songs, and then uh, Joe's got our reading and prayer, and then one more, and then the sermon. Let's begin with "What a Mighty God We Serve." Led this last week. What a mighty God we serve! What a mighty God we serve! Angels bow before Him. Seven oh two. Through eyes of dark on every hand, and we cannot understand all the ways that God would lead us to the blessed promised land. But He guides us with His eye, and we will follow till we die. We will understand it better by and by. This afternoon, uh, I'm going to lead Father. I got this is my last uh, last week this month to lead singing, so we'll push a new song one more time. <clears throat> After this song, uh, Joe will have a reading prayer. Father.
Good afternoon. Our scripture reading this uh, afternoon will come from Proverbs chapter 6, verses 16 through 19. That's Proverbs chapter 6, verses 16 through 19. These six things doth the Lord hate, yea, seven are in are abomination to him, a proud look, a lying tongue, and hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that devises wicked imaginations, feet that are swift in running to mischief, a false witness that speaketh lies, and he that soweth discord among the brothers. Let us pray. Father, we thank you for this day and uh, just ask your blessing on it. We're thankful that we live in a country that we can come and openly worship you, that we can serve you, and that uh, we can learn more about you through your word. We pray for Chris as he comes forward to bring us the message that uh, you might open our hearts and our minds that we might receive it and that we might apply it to our lives in the coming days and weeks ahead that we might serve you and that we might uh, be a witness to those around us we pray that uh, you'll be with the sick father that uh, you might uh, comfort them Bless them, Father, and bring them back to health. And that uh, you would uh, watch over this country, Father, and uh, just help us to always choose to do the right thing and that we might seek your wisdom. For this we ask in Jesus' name. Long rotation this afternoon is 822, 822, and for the lesson, number 825, would you stand please, number 825. Jesus, my
afternoon. All right, so we're back talking about unity again. So be turning back to Romans 14, I suppose. It's a good place for us to start as we think about what it means to be devoted to unity. Certainly one of the things that Jesus has called us to be devoted to, right? We reference this high priestly prayer in John chapter 7. And he talks an awful lot about unity there. So in the closing hours of Jesus' life, what's he focused on? Well, he's focused on the unity that will be ours, should be ours, should be his people's after he's gone. So it's something that is not only important to him, but something that ought to be important to us. We ought to be devoted to unity. So what does that look like and what gets in our way? So today we're talking about the great enemy of unity. What gets in our way of being unified like we should be? A lot of things get in our way, right? But there's one thing especially, I think, that gets in our way, that stands in our path. It's a hurdle that we have to move out of the way before we're really going to be unified like we should be. So as we think about Romans chapter 14, the opinions that Paul was talking about there that people were holding on to so strongly they couldn't see the forest for the trees, right? Um, that's, that's really what's going on. We've got something that's so vitally important. You're tearing it down because you want your own way. That's what Paul would say in Romans 14, right? Um, the thing that's so vitally important is your brother or your sister, somebody that Christ died for, that he's done a work in. He is, or they are, his masterpiece. That's what he says in Ephesians 2, 8 through 10, right? We are his masterpieces. Jesus died for that person, and I'm not going to throw a stumbling block in their way to hurt them or to push them away from him over something silly that I believe, an opinion that I believe, no matter how um, curated, no matter how well-reasoned, no matter how passionate or how strongly I feel about the topic, if it's not Bible, it doesn't matter. So, Romans chapter 14, when, he talk, when he's talking about these opinions, what might that look like for us? We talked about the, the food that, uh, that Paul was talking about. It very well could have been, uh, instead of the idol uh, that I referenced this morning, it very well could have been simply a Jewish person saying, I don't want to eat pork. Stop bringing pork to the, uh, to the fellowship dinners we have. They would have had fellowship dinners, much like we have um, <coughs> in the first century. They, they were familiar with that. <clears throat> they, they were always around each other. They were always in each other's houses. Lunch at um, Brother A's house on Tuesday would not have been abnormal for the whole church. Um, this, is, this is a commonplace occurrence on the weekly for them to meet together. And so if if, uh, if our brother here has a problem eating pork and he says, well, listen, uh, I appreciate you not bringing pork anymore to the, to the fellowship dinner. And also, can, can, you, can you curtail the catfish? Because I can't eat those things. Uh, at least the Jewish people didn't used to be able to eat those things, right? Those were only restricted food sets. Uh, God said you can't eat those things for basically to keep them safe in the Old Testament. But by the time the New Testament comes along, he says, I've cleansed all those things. In Acts chapter 10, Peter's standing there on the roof of Simon the Tanner, and he looks up, and there's a sheet coming down, and it's, G it's Jesus, basically. It's, right? Jesus is basically saying to him, I've cleansed everybody, right? But he uses animals to, to make the point. Um, Cornelius is about to come into the church. This is going to create a lot of waves for the Jewish Christians. 
that, that someone not adhering to Judaism, someone not uh, from Abraham's lineage, that they can come into and have relationship with God was scandalous. Um, and so they needed a word from the Lord to be able to allow that to happen, to not stand in the way. Uh, and so the Lord comes to Peter and he lets down that sheet and he says, I've cleansed all these things. Don't you call unclean what I've cleansed, right? And really the point there is twofold. Uh, one, Gentiles are coming into the kingdom. You don't get in their way. You go after them because everyone's welcome here. Secondary point here is that God's cleansed all animals now. Um, and so you can eat barbecue. It's good. Um, at least the barbecue in the South. Barbecue here is not good. Uh, but all barbecue has been cleansed. Catfish has been cleansed. All the foods that he restricted in the old law, no, no that's true anymore. He's cleansed everything now. But our brother here that, that is Jewish, he says in the first century, it just turns my stomach. I can't, I can't enjoy my meal with everyone eating barbecue and catfish. And that seems silly to us, right? Because you, you put barbecue and catfish in front of me and we've got a meal and we're ready to, to, to chow down, right? Let me put it in a, in, a, in a setting in which our culture might understand it better. What if somebody brought bat today? What if, what if you were walking around, Kelly labeled uh, uh, what she brought today because she thought, oh, maybe people wouldn't know what it was and wouldn't eat it or whatever, wouldn't get to enjoy it. So she, she labeled it. So picture somebody, um, maybe those little meatballs that, uh, that we like so much. Somebody made those out of bat. Uh, and so they, they put bat meatballs on their, on their crock pot and inside are just a bunch of meatballs made from bat meat. You guys going to chow down on that? They've, got, they've even got a picture of a bat on the side of it so nobody knows what's, you, you don't misinterpret this. We're not going to eat that, are we? Why? Because bats are gross in our culture. Pigs and catfish were gross in Judaism uh, to, to a Jewish person. It's part of their culture. Just like you would never think to eat a bat. They would never think to eat, to eat pig or sausage or bacon, any of, the thing, any of the things that come from pig. They're not going to eat it because it's gross. It doesn't matter how you fix up bat. It could be those tasty meatballs. It be any kind of thing that's, that's normally tasty, but I'm not eating it because it's bat. It's gross. And it reminds me of all the things that I used to believe in Judaism that I don't currently believe anymore. Um, so Paul would say, using that illustration, very well could have been, well, you, you guys just need to not, you got to quit fighting over the food. <coughs> but for us, maybe these don't strike home as well. So what, what might strike home for us? What might, if Paul were writing a, a letter to our Rome, and he had a Romans 14 in the letter to our Rome, what, what might he include in this section? What illustrations might he use when he's talking about quarreling over opinions? Well, it might be uh, the type of parenting that you do. Uh, are you permissive or are you more authoritarian? Right? Does, does anybody have uh, well-reasoned arguments on either side of that? Of course we do, right? You've thought about it and you've decided this is the way that I want to parent and just about any other way of parenting is wrong, right? This would be an issue under which Paul would say oh, there needs to be a whole lot more grace and a lot less fighting back and forth. Uh, you don't get to say to your brother who parents differently than you do, what you're doing is wrong, you've got to do it my way. 
I care more about my brother than I do about my opinion on this issue. Right? That would fall squarely in what Paul says here in Romans 14. Um, what about the new songs? Jeremy sang some new songs today. I love those, right? I think they provide for us uh, different ways of uh, articulating uh, our faith. I think that's important because there's some uh, thoughts that certain songs make me think that um, other songs don't, don't push me in that direction, right? And so that's why we have a variety of songs so that our, our minds can be flexed in those directions. And I think that's important, right? But somebody else might say, well, we just need to figure out the, the songs that we sing right now and we sing them as well as, well as we possibly can. One of the congregations I've been a part of in the past, one of the members there said, well, we just need to pick 25 songs and we sing those 25 songs every single Sunday and we sing them as best as we can. He felt very strongly about that and I thought it was foolishness because we need more songs, right? Did we have that conversation? We did. We, we talked about that. He and I talked about that quite a bit actually. Um, but you know where we came down on it? I love you, brother, more than I care about my opinion on this matter. So we're going to get along. And I don't have to agree with you, but I can't destroy you over something that's my opinion. So, what holds us back from the unity that Paul demands in Romans 14? He, it, it is demanding, right? The, the unity here that he's talking about, it, it's not um, optional. Go back and read Romans 14 today. The language he uses is, is harsh. It's direct. Um, you don't have options here. Um, give over. Submit. This is, this is a salvation issue. This is something that's important. So what, what holds us back from the, from the unity that Romans 14 demands? Flip over to, uh, to Philippians 2. <clears throat> I want to walk you through some of this stuff in, in Philippians 2. Actually, we really probably need to back up to Philippians 1 because Paul's getting at something in the Philippian letter that is helpful for us as we think about um, unity today. You know the Philippians, right? Uh, they are they're a good congregation. You would like these people. Uh, you would be impressed with their faith. In fact, when they were first founded, um, Paul has, uh, has been forced to, uh, to, to leave uh, areas in Macedonia where Philippi is, is located, he's been forced to leave those other areas because of attacks. People have physically harmed him. <laughs> and that's going to happen in Philippi too. You remember the Philipp Philippian jailer, of course. Before that man comes to faith, what was he doing to Paul? He was taking a rod and he was beating Paul's back with it because that's what he was ordered to do. Paul's in prison there. And so this guy is punishing him for teaching about the Nazarene, Jesus. So the founding of this church, pretty impressive. Uh, and their faith, because they've been in this kettle of, uh, of hardship for so long, their faith has become so concrete um, these people are, are kind, they're generous, they're resilient. They're not going to give up on Jesus for anything. 
they're in. And you want to beat me? That's, that's just fine. I will forgive you, and I will pray for you, and I will try to convert you. So beat away. You want to uh, condemn me? That's fine. I will forgive you, I will pray for you, and I will try to convert you. Bring it on. You would like these people, these Philippians. They're impressive. You, you, would, be in, you would be impressed with them. Their faith is, is big, um, vibrant. It's good. They've got one problem, unity. They struggle with unity. Um, apparently, there's at least two members of their congregation, two ladies, Euodia and Synecdoche, that are struggling with unity. I don't know how big the Philippian congregation is. I know the Philippian jailer's there, and his family, Paul tells us, uh, Luke tells us that his family was baptized, so there's, there's at least he's probably got a wife and maybe a couple of kids. And We know Lydia was, was baptized there, a couple of others. We don't know how big this congregation is. But if you go through the New Testament, you can kind of start putting names to faces here. Um, traditionally, they would have been small. Most first century churches were small, under 50 members. Maybe this one's 20 because they've undergone such significant persecution. It's weeded out all the pretenders, all the ones who are halfway in. So picture a smaller group. In a smaller group, do two people disagreeing? Does that affect the whole? Oh, you better believe it, man. If two people, even in our congregation, were to disagree, does the whole congregation feel it? Eventually, right? If you leave it, un, uh, un, un, if you let it allow it to fester, yeah. Even two people in a, in a congregation of 150, 170 people, even two, can cause some damage, can't they? Paul's dealing with this in the Philippian congregation, which is much smaller, and, and he says, you guys have to work this out. This has to stop. You have to view your sister as more important than your opinion. They're, they're co-laborers of Paul. I, I don't know what this effort looked like. I would imagine it would look very much like, like we know what Paul did, uh, going to the marketplace and, and evangelizing people, and just as he went, interacting with people, talking about Jesus. I would imagine their work looked a lot like that. Um, we know that they were financial contributors to Paul's work. Maybe that's what he's talking about. I don't know. But we know that they were co-laborers and that they're, they've got this friction between them. And whatever it is, it seems to be opinion-based. It's right in the wheelhouse of what we're talking about today from Romans 14. So <clears throat> what are we going to do about that? Well, what's he saying in the book of Philippians? Flip back to Philippians chapter 1. Yep, there you go. <laughs> so flip over to Philippians chapter 1 and, and look with me just for a second about all the things that he's going to say about unity in the book of Philippians. Uh, it is one of the core tenets of this book. If you go through the book of Corinthians, you're going to find problem after problem after problem after problem that the Corinthian congregation is dealing with and Paul has to address. It's not true in Philippi. These are, these are well-rounded Christians who love the Lord and want to do what's right, but at least two of them are struggling with this insisting on their own way. 
Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians 13, that's not how love acts. It doesn't insist on its own way. So, but that's what they're doing. Um, and so he writes this letter to them in large part to remind them to be unified. Watch it as we walk through Philippians, just, just the first couple of chapters. <coughs> and you'll see what I'm talking about. Look at, look at uh, Philippians 1, 5. He says, because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. They, they, they were unified with Paul in teaching the gospel. Look at verse 7. It is right for me to feel this way about you all, because I hold you in my heart, for you are all partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. They were united with Paul in this effort. In verse 17, the former proclaimed Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. So what's going on there? Uh, some people, apparently, Paul's in prison here, right? Um, and so some people where he's at uh, have, because of envy, um, because of selfishness, they have uh, chosen to preach in a way that would hurt Paul. I don't know what this looks like exactly, but their intent in preaching was to cause Paul distress, was, was to hurt him. Maybe it's a little bit of, uh, I'm free and I can go wherever I want to go, and they're, they're kind of sticking it to Paul like that. Maybe it's something like that, but whatever they're, however they're going about it, their intent is to harm Paul. So what does he say? I don't care. I don't care that they're, they're trying to hurt me. That doesn't matter. Um, in a crazy turn of events, while they were trying to harm me, God used it to bring people to the kingdom. That's been my goal all along. In fact, that's why I'm sitting here in chains right now. If they're accomplishing my mission, great. I don't care. So you see, again, um, that th this unity um, that, that Paul's encouraging these people to have. I, d I don't care that they, they're selfishly um, hurt, trying to hurt me. I just care that the gospel is being preached. Uh, verse 24, Philippians 1, 24. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. Paul thinks there's a chance in which he might die. This might be the end. It's not going to be. Uh, and he kind of gives you a nod to that in just a second. Uh, as he goes throughout the rest of the, the letter to the Philippians. But he's kind of working them through his thought process. And you got to wonder why. Why is he working them through his thought process? He's, he says, <clears throat> to, paraphrase, to paraphrase what he says here in the verses surrounding this, um, I could die. I uh, hope I don't. I, I don't think I'm going to, but uh, I hope I get to stay here. Um, well, Frankly, to go and be with Christ is better for me, but I hope I get to stay here because it's better for you. What's he doing? You're more important than me. He's trying to get them to see this is how a mature believer thinks. And they've got, they've got maturity in spades in so many ways. And, but there's this one, little, this one little gnat that's flying around their faith that's annoying them, that's, that's taken 
taking them back. It's taking them away. It's hurting them. Um, and, and it has to be dealt with. So what are, what are we going to do? Well, Paul's going to deal with it. And he, that's why he's letting them in on how he's thinking. This is how a mature believer thinks. This is how I think. You need to think like this too. Verse 27, uh, Philippians 1, 27, he says, Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. That's what he wants. One mind and one spirit. You guys are unified. You're one unit, one, one piece. It's like a puzzle with lots of pieces. But once they're all connected... It's one. It's one picture, right? That's what Paul's wish, that's what his prayer is for them. And that's what he's driving at. Philippians 2, 1. Check out what he does here. So if there's any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. If any of this stuff is true, it's basically what he's saying in Philippians 1 and 2. If any of these things are true, you need to line up with each other. And then he says Philippians 2, 3. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. What's the great enemy of unity? Pride. Your pride is the great enemy of unity. It gets in her way. Me thinking that I'm right and I'm just not moving off this mountain. I'm going to die on this hill. What's well, a foolish hill to die on? Because <laughs> it doesn't matter. It's an opinion-based thing. And because I'm dying on this hill, I'm taking you with me. Because you don't think what, like what I think about this opinion-based thing, so I'm going to do everything in my power to undermine you and to get you to think you're wrong. That's foolishness. All that comes from pride. Because I'm insisting in my own way, I have to be right here, and you have to be wrong, and I can't. it just can't be any other way. This is the way it's going to be. Listen to what he says in the rest of Philippians 2. It just gets better. Let, in verse 4, let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. How do you destroy pride? Slowly. But you do it by looking not to your own, you're not, you're not, trying, you're not looking out for number one. You're looking out for each other. That's how you kill pride. You, you, you consistently put yourself on the back burner. When you look at someone, you think, you're more important than I am. So when we disagree over <clears throat> opinion-based stuff. My thinking is already, oh, you're, you're probably right. At least you're not wrong. Uh, you're as right as I am. What does that take? That takes humility, doesn't it? If I'm struggling with pride, I'm going to be just like Yodi and Synecdoche in Philippians. I'll be the problem. I'll be the one that's causing the division in the church. And our unity will struggle if I'm struggling with pride. If you're struggling with pride, our unity will struggle. Listen, listen to what he, I mean, he keeps on going. Verse 5, you know this passage. Have this mind among yourselves. Which mind is that, Jesus? Jesus is mind. The, 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 the sacrificial mind. The one who, well, 
let me let let me let let me let, <laughs> let me let you listen to the Holy Spirit when He says it. Verse five: Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though He was in the form of God, did not account equality with God a thing to be grasped. He was right, right? Jesus was right. He was in heaven, and, and is truth, right? He says that He's truth. Um, his opinions are truth. But what? He counted himself as nothing so that I could have everything. He counted himself as nothing so that I could have everything. And Paul says, you need to have that same kind of mind in you. You need to adopt that kind of thinking. That other people are more significant than you. When that happens, you won't have a problem with unity. That's Yodi and Synecdoche's problem. They're insisting on their own way. Not thinking of each other as more significant than, stuff, than themselves. Uh, they're, 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 they're demanding their own way. I'm right, and I'll have my way. And if you get in my way, you're going to get run over. And Paul says, no, sir. More importantly, the Holy Spirit says, no, sir. That's not how this functions. Not among us. Not among the church. We view each other as more significant. We, have, we adopt this mind that Jesus had. <coughs> Though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. How far should I go, Paul? How much should I give? What if I feel real strong about this particular issue? What if I know I'm right? Well-reasoned arguments, right? What if I've studied Scripture <coughs> and <clears throat> I've come down on the fact that I'm just right? And my brother over here, he studied Scripture and he disagrees with me. How dare he disagree with me? We've talked about it and... Come to find out he's not wrong. Neither am I. And so I'm going to count him as more significant than me. And I'm not going to make this a big deal. Are, are you welcome to your opinions? Absolutely. Are you welcome to destroy your brother over your opinions? Absolutely not. Make sense? I, I think that's an easy way to look at this. You're welcome to your opinions. I want you to study scripture. The spirit... God wants you to study Scripture. He wants you to come to these well-reasoned arguments. That's good, that's healthy, that's necessary. If you're not studying Scripture and coming to well-reasoned arguments, something's wrong, right? But maturity here says, after I've done that, after I've come to these well-reasoned arguments on opinion-based stuff, I don't get to destroy you. I don't get to tear you down. I don't get to make a stink about it because you're more important than I am. I used to work with a, a minister who would kind of tongue-in-cheek uh, say, uh, you can have, uh, you may not always get your way, but you can have your say. Because sometimes that's the way we work, isn't it? You may not get your way, but you can have your say. And, and after he would talk, after he would say that tongue-in-cheek, uh, we'd think, well, that's not actually true either, is it? Sometimes you don't get your way and you shouldn't have your say. Sometimes we blow it up. 
excuse me. Sometimes we blow that relationship up as we exit because I just want to get the last word in because I'm right and I'm prideful and I just want what I want and I'm willing to blow the relationship up to have it. The Spirit would say, no, sir. That's not how it works. Not in the church. Not in God's kingdom. Um, So we get rid of pride. That's the answer. That's how we function well in God's kingdom. In God's good world, we function well when we destroy pride in us. So as we think about the enemy of pride, or the the enemy of unity, we know it's pride. Help me think through real quick as we close um, this evening about uh, a couple of examples we can walk through. If you turn over to Luke 18, you'll you'll find (coughs) the parable Jesus tells about a tax collector and, uh, and a public and a Pharisee. I just want you to look at the, at the opening words there. Luke 18, 9 and 10. <clears throat> Why did Jesus tell this parable to these people? He told, also told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and treated others with contempt. He's looking out at a crowd. Thanks, Thomas. Good job. He's looking out at a crowd and he sees through them. He sees to their heart and he says, you guys are treating people terribly. You're treating people you ought to love with contempt because you're prideful. That's what this guy's struggling with, right? In the story, uh, when, he ta- when he tells the story about the Pharisee, um, oh, I thank God I'm not like these these other people, these sinners, and even that tax collector over there. Good gracious, that guy, what's wrong with him, you know? The guy's got a pride problem, doesn't he? Think about uh, in Mark 10. <coughs> Sorry. Goodness. Okay, um, in Mark 10, uh, the 12 disciples are, are surrounding Jesus. Peter, or James and John, the two brothers, sons of thunder, come up to Jesus and they say, We've got a question for you. We want, to, we want you to give us whatever we ask for. Loaded question, right? So Jesus says, okay, what do you want? What did they want? Do you remember? Well, they wanted to sit, they basically wanted the reins, right? They wanted to sit at, at the right and the left hand of Jesus when he comes in his kingdom. They want power, right? What do the ten do when they hear it? They're, Mark uses the word indignant. They're mad, right? Why did James and John ask that? They asked their question for the exact same reason that the ten were mad that they asked it. Pride. Why were the ten mad that James and John asked it? Because James and John beat Peter, Andrew, James, and the other ones to the punch, right? They all wanted that authority. They all wanted that power. James and John just beat them to the punch. And so they're mad when that happens. Pride got in the way of helping their brother, of seeing their brother for who he really was, right? Now they're struggling. Pride will make you forgetful, too. You'll forget that you're pulling out all the stops to win an argument against your brother who Christ died for. That's what Paul says in Romans 14 about their opinions and special days and food. 
you'll forget that sometimes you've been wrong. Did you know that? Sometimes you've been wrong. Sometimes I've been wrong. Sometimes we believe that old joke, I thought I was wrong once, but it turned out I was mistaken, right? You ever thought that? Sometimes we forget that we've been wrong, that we can be wrong, and that I've got to be right in this instance. I don't have to be right. There are times when even though I've studied a topic, I've been wrong. That might be the case in this instance. Pride makes us forget that. It makes us not at all humble. You'll forget that there are more ways than yours to do the thing you want to do. There's more than one way to skin a cat, right? All these opinion-based things, like how you parent, which songs you sing, what foods to eat, those kinds of things that we feel strongly about. There's more than one way to skin a cat, right? You could be right, and you could be right. Until you start trying to destroy your brother over your opinion. Pride will make you forgetful. But we can't forget. <coughs> Proverbs 6. Uh, we're going to have to leave James 4 uh, for, for the time being. But I don't want you to forget Proverbs chapter 6. Let's read it one more time. Uh, it's, it's, a, it's what was read for you uh, by Joe. This afternoon, as uh, he did the scripture reading, in Proverbs chapter 6, verses 16 through 19. Again, like in Romans 14, and, and God does this when he talks about unity, he uses some direct language. Um, he feels very strongly about unity. This may be something that we put on the back burner, but it's not something that he's ever uh, discounted. This is something that he holds very strongly. Listen to his words here. Proverbs 6, 16 through 19, he says, These, uh, There are six things that the Lord hates. He hates these things. You go back and look how many times the Bible says the Lord hates things. It's not often. But there's, here's seven things um, that the Lord hates. They're an abomination to him. Haughty eyes. What's that? We don't use haughty eyes very much anymore. What are haughty eyes? What, much, what would a word be that you would use to describe haughty eyes? Pride. Right? That's pride. God hates pride. He also hates a lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that devises wicked plans, feet that make haste to run to evil, a false witness who breathes out lies, and check that last one out, one who sows discord among the brothers. It's interesting that he bookends pride and one who sows discord among the brothers. Those two things go together, don't they? And the Lord hates both of them. I don't want to be doing things that he hates. I want to be doing things that he loves. This evening, if you're struggling, we want to pray for you that you can be who God would have you to be. If, if you've struggled with, with pride or anything else, uh, we want you to come back to the fold. God wants you to come back to his family, to, to be reunited with him, to be everything that you can be inside his good world. Uh, this evening, if you've not been baptized, tonight is the day. Uh, you can take that step right now to have your sins washed away and become brand new. If you have any need tonight, why don't you come as we stand and sing.
afternoon. A few announcements before we're dismissed. Uh, just a reminder, Blake's going to be going on a mission trip through Harding University this spring, and he's looking for some financial support for that, and there's sheets on the foyer table uh, with all the details and information, if you could help out with that. Also, uh, just a reminder this evening, our young men will be heading to Ironton. Uh, our youth group will be heading to Ironton. The young men will be uh, conducting the worship service down there at 6 p.m., and the bus leaves the building at 5 p.m. Also, uh, we'll be heading over to Wingate uh, right after um, we dismiss from here, if you're able to go over there and uh, we'll be singing to the residents. Um, also, just a reminder for our college students. We have 17 college students right now, and we'll be putting together some items for Valentine's Day care package. And if you could help out with that, just um, you could bring the items and just place them on the, uh, the youth table out in the foyer right under the TV. The ladies' class will meet tomorrow morning at 10 a.m. here at the building, and they will be uh, looking at lesson one. Saturday, uh, so this coming Saturday, February the 3rd, will be our annual chili cook-off, and that'll be at 2 p.m. Uh, next Sunday, Jerry's Life Group will be having lunch right after morning services here at the building, and there'll be soup and desserts. The Stepping Stone Supper will be coming up on February the 7th. It'll be soup and sandwiches. And then on February the 10th, 6th uh, grade and younger will be meeting here at the building at 11 a.m. to make Valentine's Day cards for our shut-in. CYC is coming up, uh, coming quickly. It'll be the end of February, and we're looking for some snacks. If you're able to help out with that, you can just bring them and pile them around the, uh, the youth table out in the foyer. And then uh, coming up on February the 18th, Jeremy's Life Group is going to be hosting a love meal. And that'll be right after morning services, and that's going to be for our widows, widowers, and uh, single folks to stay for that. And also just a reminder that the February schedule is out in the foyer on the table. So take a look at that to see if you're on the list to, uh, to serve. Prayer list, just a reminder of those dealing with cancer, uh, Jimmy Wilgus, Jim Martin, Jackie Hutchinson, and also just keep Friday Simpson. Uh, she has treatment coming up. Keep her in our prayers. Uh, Roger Kaufman, still not, not doing well. Uh, Jim Haney, and then Flo Keeler. Flo is uh, Becky Gilfillan's friend, and she's been having seizures and, and dealing with that, so let's keep her in our prayers. That is all the announcements that I have. If you haven't had a chance to uh, take the Lord's Supper, it's been prepared in the conference room. You can leave and do that at this time, and we'll have one more song and be dismissed in prayer. Close this afternoon with Heaven's Own Shine. I don't know exactly how sweet heaven will be. I don't know what beauty or what glory I'll see. I don't know about your recording divine. No, for sure that heaven's really gonna shine, it's gonna shine. Oh, 
Please pray with me. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, thank you for giving us the opportunity to come here this morning, Lord. And please help us just apply Chris's lesson to our lives, and please help us unify better. Please help us be one, and as one, Lord, please just help us grow as a church and spread throughout the community. Please be with everybody on our prayer list, Lord, and just put your hands over them, and please help us drive safe as we go back to our homes, Lord, and please help us just take what we learn here, Lord, and just spread it. And thank you for all the blessings you've given us. And thank you for sending your son to die on the cross for the forgiveness of our sins. And in Jesus' name we do pray. Amen.